Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today has a social media platform that we're absolutely going to talk about and so many other things. It's Brooke Muller, everybody. Hey, everyone. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I would like to thank mutual acquaintance Alex Fasella for putting this together. Uh, Broadway baby. Yes, absolutely. The original Broadway baby. And uh, yes, this is what Alex does. Tells me people I should have on the podcast and sends me my brother and my brother and me videos. This is our relationship. And I, Perfect. I'm i totally fine with that. It's so nice to meet you. And uh, we will definitely be talking about all of the very interesting things that you are up to, including this new social network I've joined and what that's all about. But before we get to Call Time Broadway, you're here to talk about... Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of To Kevin Yeager of Broadway said, we will attempt to say the entire title every time we talk about it. All right, why not? And we will fail, but we will attempt it. I'm <laughs> Kevin, a down for it. Kevin insists that you do that, and uh, it's a good joke, but I'd love to see how long we can sustain it for. Okay, uh, I'll do my best. So how did Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 come into your life? Oh, man. Back in the day, I'm talking around 2017 here, I had a friend who went to see it and texted me, Josh Groban spit on me tonight, and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I was like, I'm sorry, where were you? And he was like, I went to see Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway. And I was like, in what world is Josh Groban (laughs) spitting on people for pleasure? So that was the start. I had to dive into it from there. I will say it took me multiple times to get into it. I think Mm. I listened to the first song like five or six different times before I could actually follow along mm-hmm. who everyone was. What was the story? Why was I listening to an electro pop Russian opera musical? But once it hit, it hit hard. Oh, wow. So how many times did you end up seeing it? I never saw it. You never saw it. Oh, I never saw it either. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was at college when it was um, on Broadway and mm-hmm. never made it in on any breaks. But I will say, uh, not that I condone this, but I have maybe uh, seen a bootleg of it sure. on YouTube because sure. I had to get the full experience. So I've, at, I've seen it in different ways. At this point, it's hard to avoid seeing bootlegs of shows you like yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> so, like, I've yeah. decided as long as the show isn't currently running, mm. I'm like, okay. 
I'll, I'll watch it then. It got me through quarantine in the first part of the pandemic. So that was my little saving. Totally grace. fair. Yeah, that's funny. I, I hadn't thought about the, there these things like the bootlegs on YouTube. They're uh, developed. We all develop our own little morality system. Rather, yeah. I remember it was when it's so funny. It, you just reminded me. It was like when I was in college when Napster came out. Mm-hmm. And we all knew it was wrong. Anybody who says they didn't know it was wrong is lying. Uh, but we all had different moral codes. Like you just said, like, I would download stuff, but I wouldn't download a full album. That was my rule. <laughs> if I liked three or four songs, like I'd just go buy the album. I had a friend yeah. who would download the full albums, but he wouldn't burn them to CD. It was, that was his line. He's like, I'm on it. And then we had another roommate who would just do whatever. He would burn, he would download things, he would burn them to CDs, he would give them to people. He didn't give a damn. So it was an interesting yeah. experience in <laughs> We in all morality. have to figure it out. Yeah, because you know it's wrong, but it's right there on YouTube. Right, and I exactly. Especially in, in early pandemic days, you know, yes. when I was oh, yeah. sitting in my room and I just needed something, I was like, okay. Yeah, all, all bets are off during a pandemic. Yeah. I think we can all agree. Oh, things don't Things don't count. Uh, yeah. Well, that's so. That's really interesting. I think I, I thought I assumed you had seen it. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation because I haven't seen it either. And it is a show more, almost more than any. I regret not seeing on Broadway. Usually, that's because of the cast or something, you know, production. And certainly, the cast is part of it. But really, just I, it just looks so phenomenal. I really am sort of like, I really wish I'd gone to see what they did to the Imperial Theater, like how they completely yeah. ripped it to pieces. And to see what this agree. is. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm yeah. missing something every time I listen to it. Right. And for me, it was, what is it, the part in the opera where they, all of a sudden you just hear like some some weird screams going on and like some, <laughs> some singing. And right. I was like, all right, I must be missing something A-tonals here. Atonals and, and then, minor sevenths or whatever. The exactly. Yeah. And then once I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or I saw it online. I was like, right. okay, this makes a little makes bit a little more sense. sense. So there, yeah. were, there were parts, especially because it's sung through, you know, I feel like right. you get most of the story, but there definitely were parts where I was like, oh. That's a lot different than I thought it was. Or even like somebody was singing that I didn't think was the person singing. So mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I did what I could to, <laughs> to see it. But I'm with you. I like truly, truly regret not seeing it. I may or may not have tweeted multiple times in my life, revive Great Comet. And it's only been a few years. <laughs> so it's not going well, but the hope is there. I think it'll get, it's the kind of, I mean, it'll take a little while. It closed under very, with a bad taste in everyone's mouth, which it did. is one of the sadder moments in broadway of, of that period of time for me mm-hmm. um so i think it'll take a little while but i think if it if and when it does get revived and somebody will do it it'll be off broadway it'll be in a smaller production because this production was huge and lavish and broadway and that's you know one of the things we love about it um yeah. i was about to say i it's what you say you had trouble following the story i think this is a show that even though it sets up the story very 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 clearly doesn't really care about the story so much um, but before we jump into how it doesn't care about the story, possibly, yeah. it's probably a good idea if we try to tell people the story of the Great Comet, of Natasha yeah. Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. As So, yeah, do you think you could tackle this Herculean yeah. event based let's, on let's a couple hundred a pages in, in, or however many pages in uh, War and Peace? Yeah, so I describe it to my friends. I'll go with what I usually tell them. It's a electropop Russian opera about 70 pages in the middle of War and Peace. And essentially we have our main focus of this show, Natasha. She and her cousin go to stay with their aunt in Moscow because 
Her fiance, Prince Andre, is out fighting in the wars. And while Natasha's there, she gets swept up in the, for lack of a better word, magic of a man named Anatole, who <laughs> really. <laughs> well, let's go with magic. Really yeah, we'll go with magic. That's her, the nicest yeah, way we can put that. Yeah. A three-day whirlwind romance um, where Natasha's really questioning the promises she made to Andre. Does she want to be with Anatole? I don't want to spoil it too much, but there is some action in the second half that really brings those choices to a head. Um, and then we have Pierre, who is, you know, kind of like the the more wise man in the village who people go to, who, you know, comes into this story in an interesting way and tries to save the reputation of the family and put Natasha on a bit of a better path. Um, and I think, I think that's where all. And then there's a comet. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the comet, <laughs> then which pops in at the end. Yes, Who can does. forget the comet? Who can forget the comet? Um, but right yeah, there in the title. I, I feel like it's the story of a young girl who is coming into her own and figuring out who she is set against mm. a very different backdrop. I will say listening to it. I mean, I, had, I hadn't listened to it in a, in a, in a long time. And listening to it to talk to you, I was struck this time by how little Pierre is actually in it. You know, yes. it is really Natasha's story. And Pierre is going through these sort of odd, grumpy, straight white man problems of, of like being just generally existentially unhappy with the world. And yeah. so that when he comes in to the story in the full at the end... He's 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 the right person in the right time for Natasha in that moment because right. he has a very big picture view of things and that's really what she needs in that in that moment. Um, right. But leading up to that, he's just kind of like he pops up, he grumps around, he shoots somebody, he goes back into his goes back to his house. <laughs> and that's that's it. very accurate. I think it's interesting too that you said you don't think that the show really cares about the story, and I think Pierre's a perfect example of that because at the end there's a line where he's talking to Natasha and he's like, if. If I were not myself, but the brightest, handsomest, best man on earth, and if I were free, I would get down on my knees this minute. And ask you for your hand. And for your love. And for the first time in many days, I weep tears of gratitude. Tears of tenderness, tears of thanks. And I remember listening to it the first time and I was like, what? Like, I did not think that was the relationship going on here. Oh, yeah. And I feel like in the many, many, many other pages before and after this part of War and Peace, I'm sure that's explored a little bit more. Sure. Um, I know they get married. It is. Yeah. They get married. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. realize that until I did a little research afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I think there could have been some better setup for Pierre, and yet he has what I think is the best song in the entire show. Oh, which is what? Dust and Ashes. Ah, uh, okay. Fair I would fair. rank it as one of my favorite 
and personal opinion, best songs in contemporary musical theater. Whoa. I stand by it. Hey. All right. Well, this is probably a good time for me to bring something up. I, (laughs) um, but it's, that's wow. Okay. I want to dig into that in a second. So here, here's my big feeling about this album. I don't really like it that much, (laughs) but I, I, it's because I I was like, when you, when you picked it, I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. And I, as I say, people, I always listen to the the album three times before I talk to the guest. That's my rule. No matter, no matter what. And no matter how well I know it or anything like that. And I knew this pretty well, but I was like, all right, I'm really going to dig into this and like give it everything I've got. And I still found myself not like, I don't know the next time I'll listen to the album for, for se, but I did find moments like dust and ashes and things like, so I found the songs in it. And that I think is my big problem. With the album, not with the show. I want to be very clear here because one of the reasons I really, really wish I'd seen it is because the the the, the general problem I have with musicals like this, this sort of sung through, fully sung through musicals, and I actually recently heard this re-articulated by Stephen Sondheim in an interview I was watching because we all are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's it's just sort of like an endless cycle in certain moments of recitative. It is just nothing but people singing dialogue, basically, you know, like in these non-melodic sections, which then Dave, Dave Malloy very smartly punctuates with like little refrains, little phrases, little little hooks to get you kind of rolling through it. But where I really found myself enjoying this and what I would do, I'll probably make a playlist later for this, is... I like the songs. I really like the songs in this. But there's not a lot of songs in this for a two-hour, like, two-hour, two-disc listen. It's a lot of recitative and, like, quasi-dialogue sections. And and it's just in in the theater, I think I would be be totally down with that. But Mm -hmm. on an album, it just becomes kind of flat to me after a little while. As you were saying that, I was thinking, like, what songs could you pull from this recording to stand on their own and i think there are three maybe yeah there's like, there's like ashes, f- letters no one else or maybe uh, the three that could like really stand on their own well the, the finale i think is a good oh yeah yeah the party also is a nice like when oh, yeah. when they get when they get rolling like that that's good the other problem is i don't know what any of these songs are called <laughs> that's the thing they're all they have very just very like blah, when you're Natasha, right. like and I think that goes through the whole sung through vibe. I will say I find sung through shows to be my favorite. Um, okay. I'm thinking of like Hades Town, Hamilton, like other ones that I mm-hmm. listen to very frequently. I actually call Great Comet, Hades Town, and Hamilton like my holy trinity. Like those are my mm. three shows. Nobody's going to touch for me. Um, I think maybe it's because I'm like super type A and I like to know what the story is before I see it. Uh-huh, that might sure. be part of it. So a sung through show really accomplishes that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that was actually one of the parts that really drew me into this. And I think one of the only reasons I was able to keep going with it once I finally made it through the prologue was because you could pick up most of the story sort of. I still did yeah. some extra research on it, but a lot of it was there. You so you you have a lot of it. You just sort of follow it. I feel and I think the repeated like close listenings, I got a lot more of the mood, which is what I had been as a casual listen, you don't really get, but how the the sort of electronic music mix with Russian folk thing creates this general 
you, you hear a lot more of the individual pieces the more you listen to it. And that's when I was able to sort of oddly appreciate the whole a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I came away kind of going like, okay, I think I really, like really at the end of it was very sad that I hadn't seen it, which is a feeling yeah. I had before. But I was really just like, I really wish I'd seen this because I think yeah. I would have loved it. And would then have more context for the each track and therefore enjoy it more, is, is always the case with a cast album when you've seen the show, if you like the show. Right. Yeah, it is, I, I don't dislike all songs. It was so funny, I heard, so Sondheim says this, there's this screed on uh, sung through musicals in his Inside the Actor Studio episode that I watched. I'm not an opera fan. I don't like wall-to-wall music. And the so-called operatic musicals are not as sophisticated or, you talked about Rod and Hammerstein being simple. No, it's the wall-to-wall musicals that are simple because they don't know how to write songs. So they write endless recitative. It's very hard to write a song and very easy to write that kind of piece, very easy. The wall-to-wall, you know, they call them operas, they're not operas. There's no development of of the music whatsoever in these pieces we're talking about, the the shows. Uh, The best of popular music is song forms, you know. A story is told within a given song. I know a lot of popular music is about the performer, and a lot of it is about sound, per se, but there are still songs. Um, Songwriting is what's hard. To tell a story through song is hard. To develop musical ideas is hard. To write wall-to-wall music is easy. And it made me think about, like, because I love a lot of sung-through musicals. Like, Evita is one of my favorite musicals ever. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely sung-through. And I think there are, he sort of generalized that all sung through musicals are like this. They're just endless recitative. And I would push back on that and say that there are some that are like that. But like the great ones have songs in them. And I think Hamilton has songs in it. Hadestown absolutely has songs in it. There are sections connecting those songs that end up being a little sung through. Or in Hamilton's case, just sort of basic raps, like just sort of very, very basic uh, rhythmic talking. But this really does have more i mean it really and i think dave malloy said this and they say it in the in the in the prologue that it is it is supposed to be an opera it is modeled structurally after an opera and a, another reason the songs are just simply called you know natasha and anatole natasha and Belenska, you know sonia and natasha cuz it's just what that's the way you t- like opera songs don't have titles they're scenes right. they it, it runs like a play so yeah, that's that's sort of my I, I end up being kind of of two minds about it. But one of the things and it's interesting you, you mentioned this, that it took you a lot of listens to get past the prologue, because <laughs> the prologue is is a, a it's a song. B is incredibly fun. I mean, it is yeah. just one of the most fun songs in any show I've ever heard. Like it really just but I almost wonder how much it does the show something of a disservice because I like with every opening number when you see a show, I kind of expected the whole show to be like that. And it isn't. There's no other no. song in the entire show that sounds like the prologue. And so now it does fade quickly and neatly into Pierre, which does sound like the rest of the show. Like you do immediately kind of get swept into it. But I was really expecting that kind of jaunty self-awareness to, uh, bounce, like, to come back and it never, ever comes back. In this no. And to me, it strikes this whole show and even the way it was set up and created in the Imperial Theater strikes me as you're walking into something already going. And Mm -hmm. it almost to me is like the prologue is almost like the cast realizing like, oh, shoot, somebody just walked in. Let us just quickly like step back and explain it to them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like an aside of like, oh, you're here. Let us catch you up really quick. 
and then let us get back to what we were doing. And I think the fact that it sounds so different is kind of like the them stepping back and being like, let us catch up this audience who has no idea what's going on. Let us speak like in their terms and then we'll get back to our own style. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can only imagine back when this was on Broadway, say like a a visiting tourist walking into this show because the marquee looked like fun and not really knowing what was going on. I can only imagine the look on their face during the first song when they were like, what did we get into? And Belaga's just for fun! Belaga's just for fun! Belaga's fun! It's not like it doesn't care. There are certain shows you see where they're just sort of like, we, we don't care if you know what's going on. It's not our problem. Like you just, you figure, like you come or you don't, I really don't care. Like whatever. This show isn't that. This show is is reaching out emotionally to you, but it isn't, it isn't going to stop and make sure you're having a good time at any point. Oh, no. It's just, like you said, yeah, once the prologue's over, we're done. We are done holding your hand and now we are going mm-hmm. to jump straight through. And the characters might occasionally pop in and, like, explain kind of what they're doing. Like, one song that I really liked this time that I I had not really paid much attention to before um, was the the private and intimate life of the house. Mm -hmm. Which really does an excellent job at setting up – not only setting up a situation – with that hilarious, I don't remember if it's in that song or the song before it, where Natasha said, I know they'll like me. Everyone has always liked me. Yep. I wrote that line down because it always stands out to me. I think that is Natasha's oh, character in a phrase. Yeah. That's where really, she is a really interesting, I mean, it's hilarious to say, because it's obviously mm. created by Tolstoy. So, like, she's. Like that, she's a really interesting character. Like that, like that's not something he's known for. But she is a really interesting character in this story, and it is. It's a really, I think, in Dave Malloy's hands, it becomes this kind of cautionary tale against naivete and the problem of like not telling people, like sort of. Not letting people express their emotions, not letting people experience life, because once they go experience life, it's like Candide almost like she just gets raked over the coals and it's all so preventable. <laughs> I know. I actually really feel for Natasha. Like yeah. I, I can understand how she like might come off as annoying, but like personally, I really feel for her. Oh, I don't think and so. And I, yeah. I think some people could find her annoying because like, I don't know. My favorite line in the second act is when Sonia is like, Natasha, you must be joking. You've only known him three days. Right. And it's like, oh, girl, what are you doing? Yeah. But that's when I really feel for her. Yeah. Especially when she's like, I'm holding his letter in my hand. Like, he must love me if he wrote me this letter. Little did she know, like, Anatole wasn't the one who actually wrote the letter. Right. And I think, like, that's still relatable, I think, to, like, teenage girls today. Like, you're still getting duped by by these boys. So it's, mm-hmm. like, a lesson that is still, like, really relatable and I don't know. I feel for her. She's just trying to follow her heart and the world has other plans for her. Yeah. I mean, she, she says, you know, I mean, I think it's in the prologue or it's early that she, I mean, she loves Andre with all her heart and, Mm -hmm. but I, it's very clear very quickly that she doesn't really know what that means that, that she doesn't really understand 
that she you know she's she's a she's a very pretty young girl she's from a wealthy family she lived in the country she's never really met anybody or done anything mm-hmm. and when she comes to moscow even with like um sonia and her godmother whose name escapes me um looking out for her she's still like they don't quite really understand how naive she is otherwise i don't think they would have taken her to the opera frankly like because she is she uh, you know it's that weird thing of like she sees anatole and she like suddenly gets horny and she has no idea what that means like just Mm -hmm. really has no idea like why she's flushed and how she like how he makes her feel and It's exciting. And, and the scene she has with Sonia where she like screamed. I mean, where she really screams at Sonia and screams, we are enemies and, and all that, yeah. like wonderfully over the top, like 19th century Russian dial type style, aristocratic dialogue mm. is is heartbreaking because she's so wrong. I know. <laughs> so I know. Young. Natasha really strikes me as. A girl who just got to her freshman year of college, mm-hmm. comes from a small town, who's still together with her high school boyfriend, and then by Thanksgiving break, everything's oh, yeah. a mess, and they broke up. And Columbus she's Day. in love. Yeah. <laughs> she's in love with the new boy from college. Oh yeah, doesn't really know what she's doing, and those are those are the vibes that I get from Natasha. And, oh yeah, you know that was the big joke in my school was that the, all the freshmen boys or girls who came to school with girlfriends or boyfriends who were still back in. The the yeah you know, wherever or had gone to another college, mm-hmm. yeah. The, Columbus Day was the great culling. Everybody sort of <laughs> went back to them for Thanksgiving and or for Columbus Day and came home, yeah. came back to campus single. <laughs> yeah, and that's poor Natasha. She's following the same trajectory. Really so look is. at this. And it's just yeah. her bad luck that it's Anatole mm-hmm. who is. Mm-hmm. Just the worst. Just the. I was being polite when worst. I when I use like quote unquote magic to describe him earlier because he is he is a Russian f boy like he is oh, yeah. the OG f boy like yeah he, he and he knows it and he takes yeah. advantage of it and you know there there are parts where even listening you know I feel drawn into Anatole and then you remember oh no no <laughs> this is not the character you want to support and that's the fun thing about the structure being that Anatole is Pierre's brother-in-law and his friend. And even though he hates his his wife and he don't get along, shall we say, um, they, he is friends with Anatole and he admires Anatole in a, in a very philosophical arm's length kind of way where he has, I mean, he has lyrics about it where he's just like, there, there goes a spirit, like living in the moment. What an amazing spirit. Mm-hmm. without knowing what exactly Anatole's doing. He's like, oh, it's so crazy. He's going to run off with this girl, even though he's already married. Oh, that Anatole, you <laughs> scamp. You know, like, oh, look at that guy go. Um, but what makes Pierre a good character is that once there, I mean, he should object to that from the jump, but once there are specifics set to it, once he really understands what Anatole's up to and the level of, you know, social faux pas, but also like truly devious awful behavior he's up to pierre is ready to like just jump all over him and and do whatever he can and he can't do a lot he does chicken out sort of comes pretty short to like actually damaging him but he and gives him more money but (laughs) uh, she just gives him so much money in this show (laughs) but it is the right thing to do it is the right thing to send anatole away instead of like dueling him again i think pierre knows that 
and like let's just get let's just get Anatole out of the show and like let's he's done yeah. enough damage. Like, yeah, and I think Lucas Steele is the perfect actor mm-hmm. to take on the role on yeah. Broadway. Like he just his voice, his look, he just really pulled it off. Mm-hmm. And you get and why love, he's charming, you know, mm-hmm. in, in his hands. Yeah. And I love the part where, and I saw this when I watched my bootleg, but when he like literally sits down next to an audience member mm-hmm. and like whispers something to them mm-hmm. and then gets back up and he's like, okay, like you yeah. can keep going. Now. Yeah. Right. Like, show, oh, the God. show can resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It is. An, it, he, he's, he's a, it's a character that could very easily be, I mean, not, not that he needs to be sympathetic, but you have to understand why why Pierre likes him, why he's likable. And mm-hmm. otherwise, Natasha just comes off as an idiot. Like, he's right. charming. He's a, he's not just that he's attractive. He's charming. And he also, importantly, and that's another nice thing that Private Intimate Life of the House sets up, he talks to her. He sort of meets her. On, it's the first person she's met in Moscow who meets her on the level. And... It is just like she's heretofore been treated like a child by by Sonia and her godmother, and then just totally disrespected by her future in laws. Oh, horribly <laughs> yeah. sad scene. Um, everything is sad about that. Private Intimate Life of the House. I is a song I admire, and I could never listen to it again, and that would be just fine because mm-hmm. that is a the sad, line sad the line moment. where um, Princess Mary says. But besides the couple of hours. During which we have guests, there are also 22 hours in the day, during which the private and intimate life of the house continues. Bring me my slippers. Yes, Father, yes, Father. Bring me my wine. Yes, Father, yes, Father. If you're not too busy fiddling with your incense and icons. No, Father, no, Father, and I have no friends. No, never go anywhere, never invited. For who would take care of them? I can hurt you. I can hurt you. That one, it breaks my heart. Cutting right into that section of him like yelling at her for slippers and water. Oh my god. It is just so sad. And, but also, again, like I noticed this time, it's really funny when you give something like this a close listen. Like I noticed the little description that um, uh, Andre, when he smiles at Pierre at the end, and Pierre sort of goes. And he smiled like his father. Coldly, maliciously. And there is this there is this little sense that maybe it's better if Natasha doesn't marry Andre, because Andre's not a like Andre's a good guy, I guess, but he's not a great guy, and there's a little tinge there of 
he might be a bad guy. We don't know. We've, we've literally mm-hmm. just met him and the show's almost over. So, like, we're right. not going to get any time to it. But it does give you a little bit of, like, it was like my second listen. I was like, it's probably better than Natasha did <laughs> Andre at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, she needs to be on her own. She yeah. needs to just, like, go out and have her, like, girl boss time on her own. And I think it's so interesting that you don't find that out about Andre until the very end. Because yeah. it leaves you. This is a show that when it ends, I don't ever find myself being like, okay, it's over. Like, that was good. Mm-hmm. Like, I always find myself thinking about it a little bit more because mm-hmm. every time I listen to it, I catch something different. And I distinctly remember the first time I caught that line. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, yeah. again, going back to the whole, <laughs> this is a story already in progress. Like, we are missing information from this show. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very, very big part of it. And I, I thought it was interesting watching it that Josh Groban as Pierre sits in the middle of the stage for the majority of the show. So even when he's not singing, he's still always there. And I feel like that's so representative of his character where even if he wasn't the one in the forefront of the action, like he's still always there and he still sees everything going on in his community. And I don't know. I I thought that staging was really important for the character journey, even though he just sat there for a Mm -hmm. good amount of it. Yeah. And observes, which is pretty much what he does. And it's, you know, really the only thing he does. I mean, I guess the duel is pretty active, but like the only active thing he does in the show is really go get Anatole, like go solve this problem for Natasha and her family. And he spends the rest of the, it's a two hour show or more. And he spends most of it, like you said, not doing anything. And he's the, he's one of the two titular characters of the show. Isn't that crazy? It is a bizarre thing. Yeah. I do love in, um, what is it? One of the songs in the second act where he gets up when he sings in Russian. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to attempt it right now. But it's like one of my favorite parts of the show. Because I'm like, yes, Pierre, like get in there. Mm-hmm. Like you, you sing it. Join in on the action. And I love Sit that up. part. Here's to happiness, freedom, and life. Whoa! May your travels be swift as a scythe come through the grass. Whoa! Whoa! May your sorrows be counted in number as many as drops of wine and vodka that stay in my glass. I think it's interesting actually some of I sometimes catch some of the songs on TikTok. Um, like from the prologue, the minor characters part mm-hmm. people have been using as a sound on TikTok recently. And I always <laughs> want to be like, do you know what show this is from? Because like TikTok <laughs> has had such an influence, especially on theater and sure. popular theater that wouldn't it be so cool if, you know, you get a younger generation who, you know, you would hope is a little bit more open minded and a little bit more weird and creative. And like, I would love to see them rally behind such a different show like this and have a new life for it. I think that would be so fun. I think they will. I think they could. I, I think yeah. they could. And I, I, I think this show is, like I say, I, I don't love the album, but I do really want to see the show. And I know there are people who love the album and if there are people who love the album, it'll stay alive. And if it stays alive, it'll, it'll come back. It'll, it you know, <laughs> absolutely will. But that's a good, you brought up TikTok, which is mm-hmm. a good time to transition into Call Time Broadway which okay, Yay. so 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 I'm so I joined this morning so at Unknown Penguin on Call Time Broadway, and um, oh there you are, I can connect with you. Yeah, and um, so tell the folks what is Call Time Broadway? 
Sure. So Call Time Broadway is a new social platform for theater-specific content. So it takes the better parts of the big social platforms that we know today and puts it into one where the focus is only on theater. So you can join a variety of groups. We have groups that span all areas of the industry from acting to choreography to producing, and you can post in those specific groups and see posts only relevant to that topic. Or you can post to a main feed where you get to see a variety of what everyone on the platform is posting. Um, there's direct messaging, you can set up your profile, there's an opportunity to put you know, your resume, your reel if you're an actor, and just really celebrate your love of theater in what we hope to be a safer space than Twitter and Instagram and God forbid Facebook nowadays. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the metaverse. The metaverse, exactly. So what what inspired you to set this thing up? Yeah. So I work um, as a social media manager in my day job. So I am very, very close to the social platforms and just found that it can you know, be very tiring day in and day out to see all the hate and the trolling and nowadays the fake news and the politics. And it takes away from what social was originally intended for, which was to connect communities and allow people to make connections and to really talk about what they love in a new space. So we wanted to give the theater community a space where there is no fake news, there is no trolling, they can go on there and be their total theater loving nerdy selves and really be with others who feel the same way and not have to worry about all the hate and, you know, all the garbage that goes along with what we call big social. Mm. It's a real, I mean, it it must be a daunting undertaking Mm -hmm. to set something. You're in the field. So like, this is maybe quite as daunting to you as it is for me me, when Alex told me she started a social network and I was like, oh God, really? So uh, when, how long was it for you from the idea of like, this should exist to, okay, actually like this really has to, like, I have to do this. Was it Mm -hmm. a long process of like talking yourself into it or out of it and then (laughs) deciding to do it? Yeah, so we, we've been tracking um, niche social is the name for it. So these smaller communities, specific platforms, like Spotify has a platform specifically. Um, there's one for fishing. There's one called Checkered for the motorsports uh, industry. So we've been watching these communities kind of rise for about a year or two now, um, and they've been seeing great success. So earlier in the year, the idea came to be um and then we were fortunate to work with a really talented developing team over in london actually Mm. and we spent the better part of the year creating this app and then you know through the creation of it we were like yeah yeah we're gonna do this and then i think the shutdown specifically was really like okay this is going to be a place to welcome everyone back into theater you know, in, in a fun way. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so it actually, you know, sadly enough, not that anybody wanted to shut down to happen, kind of worked in favor of this app because we launched at the same time that theater came back on a large scale. Mm. So it was like a good welcome back to the community, both in person and online. And, you know, there are a lot of people who still may not feel comfortable going to see theater in person. So Call Time gives them a place online to, you know, talk about the shows that they love, hear about shows from other people, talk about like, the Tony Awards when they happened, you know, a couple months ago. So it's been about, I'd, I'd give it like a two-year time frame from watching from the sidelines to really being active and going forward ourselves. That's, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I think a two-year time frame yeah. is, is 
it seems seems yeah, that social moves quickly so we were really like we have does. to get on that, it that was mm-hmm. the next question i was going to ask you i mean it really yeah. does like it, it it flies through it's also got to be i mean i met it, what's so funny is you you mentioned niche social which is not something i had any concept that existed and mm. there's these you say you know these little social networks for very specific ideas mm-hmm. uh which makes a lot of sense after like a, a behemoth like Twitter becomes what it is. It, I was on Twitter today and went to my profile and realized that I've been on Twitter for almost 15 years and, you know, had to sit down for a second. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, now I have to sit down again, even though I'm sitting down <laughs> because I just said that out loud. But yeah. it is like it makes a lot of sense that that these things get back to kind of what they to get back to what they were, we have to instead of having one platform have have many to sort of you break off and you join a bunch of different things like that. What is the what are the things you you kind of have to overcome when you're creating a, a, a social network like this out of out of the blue? What are the things you're kind of fighting upstream against a little bit? Awareness. Mm-hmm. So getting people to know about it, to download it. The funny thing about it is that it's the anti big social platform. And yet we need to use platforms like Instagram and Twitter <laughs> to spread mm-hmm. the word, um, which is why I also appreciate this conversation, oh, different, sure. different way to get it out there. Um, so definitely just getting people interested in it and then getting them comfortable posting on it. You know, I think we've all become very accustomed to posting on Instagram. Like my Spotify rap came out today and I knew immediately it was going to go on my Insta story. Like sure. everybody else that I follow, it's become a habit now to post your food when you go out for brunch mm-hmm. or, If it's your birthday, you're going to post a picture on Instagram. So getting people to adopt the similar behavior of, oh, I went to go see the show. Instead of putting this playbill picture on my story, let me post it on call time and get like an actual dialogue going on it. Mm. Because what I would love to see is, for instance, I went to see To Kill a Mockingbird last night, of course, put the playbill on my story. And, you know, besides my (laughs) English teaching cousin who commented about it, it didn't really go anywhere. You Mm -hmm. know, like 200 people saw it and that was it. Whereas I'd love to post it on call time and get people commenting like, this is what I thought of the show or Jeff Daniels was so great and like get a dialogue going. Mm-hmm. So just changing the habits of not having Instagram, you know, be your, your go to. I'd love for call time to be the place people think of when it comes to theater content. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that still new. So sure. try not to put too much pressure on it just yet. Sure. Trying to just get people really excited about it. Um, and then, you know, getting, we've had some good conversations on it already, which has been really great to see oh, people good. use it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people from all around the world on it already. So people from South America, from Europe are on it. So it's a great way to connect globally with the theater community outside of, you know, just the confines of New York and Broadway. Mm-hmm. It is. And that's great. I mean, I think that one of the things that we're sort of discovering post pandemic is the, you know, while Broadway is certainly the 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 call sign center of the American theater experience, there is so much theater going on in the United States and it is local, you know, local to where you are. And just sort of scrolling through it, I was really excited to see people posting things about wherever they were, seeing a show here, Mm -hmm. seeing a show, whatever, like all over. So it didn't, my my first sort of concern was that it would just be Broadway centric and is absolutely not. And if it's not now this early and it's, existence is obviously not going to be that is not right you know, it, it, it's gotten right. that third part kind of early broadway's in its name because as you said you know it's it's the call sign mm-hmm. of theater but we have groups for regional theater for off off broadway for off broadway um i'd love to create like a streaming group this is a cool thing about call time is that we aren't locked in to one structure so if we have users on the app 
who feel like there's a group that's missing, they can let us know. And that's something we can very easily add to the app. Mm. So we want to make it very community centric. We're not beholden to like a board of directors, like a Twitter or an Instagram would be. We are very nimble, very scrappy with it. So if there's something somebody wants to see on it, we'd love to hear that feedback and do whatever we can to make it work because this is an app for the theater community. You know, we're not trying to, you know, turn a huge profit on it or like get, you know, like a, I don't know, something crazy, like one of the big apps. We just want people to really be on it and enjoy theater and to connect with others. And something that I'm really excited about on it is access. So like I mentioned, we have these specific groups and I always think maybe there's a high school student who really wants to know more about producing, but doesn't live in New York, doesn't have any connections, you know, doesn't know anybody who's in producing. They can join the producing group on call time and see posts about what others are doing. And that could be a new way for them to make those connections and to learn more. So we want to break down some of the doors um, that I think, you know, we we know for a fact on Broadway can sometimes be very tight and very hard to get through. Um, we want call time to be a space that's open to everyone where everyone can connect and learn. I also wanted to mention your blog real fast, though, because I find yeah, these, as yeah. you're talking about it, these seem to be a little bit of a piece. So can you tell the folks about Backstage with B? Yeah, Backstage with B was my first step into the theater world. So I came to theater a lot later in life. Actually, it wasn't really until college that it was something that was really on my radar. It wasn't very popular where I grew up. Um, and then I went to Elon University in North Carolina, which is a huge theater school. I had friends that were really into theater. Um, it was the time of Hamilton. So, you know, it was crossing into the main stage a little bit more. And I realized that this was something that was sorely missing from my life. And I fell in love with the art form almost immediately. But I have no professional talent. I cannot sing. I cannot act. I cannot dance. And I thought to myself, how can I be a part of this community if I can't be on the stage? And I don't have the design skills to be a costume designer. I just mm-hmm. all the backstage technical stuff. I applaud everyone who does that. It's not for me. So I have always loved writing. It's always been a big part of my life. I love telling stories and I particularly love telling stories of up and coming artists. There's nothing I want to do more in this world than just spread the talent of all of the great artists um, who are getting their start. So I started Backstage with B as a way to amplify some of those great talents and then share my own perspectives on theater as I was becoming a bigger fan, moving to New York, seeing more theater. Um, So I've had the blog going for about two years now, Mm. which has been great. I've been in contact with some really, really exciting new talents um, that I'm hoping, you know, the world will see at large one day. And it's been a great way just to feel connected to the theater community and meet people. That's how I met Alex um, Mm -hmm. of Broadway Baby. I had written about their podcast um, in one of my posts and that connected us. And that's been a great friendship ever since. Mm -hmm. So it's been really exciting. And actually, there's a connection with the blog and call time because I found it exhausting every time I wrote a new post to then go to Twitter and go to Instagram and go to Facebook and be like, hey, here's a new post. Like, check this person out. Whereas on call time, you could do one post across multiple groups and it saves you some time. <laughs> so selfishly, that's been a huge help for me as well. Well, I would say that when, in sort of reading through some of your posts and looking at what you have going on, there seems to be the big connection between call time and your blog to me seems to be, interestingly, the desire to share joy. You know, that seems to be what 
you know, when you read the description of when, when you download call time of like what it's for and then reading what's in your blog and reading about you, it, it seems like it, you are really, really interested in, I like this thing and I want to tell you all about it. Um, and that kind of joy is infectious. That kind of like sharing of, of something you love is putting great energy into the world. And I think that's wonderful. I, I think it's, Thank it's you. really great. And I think that everybody should, Go download Call Time Broadway and go check out Please. BackstageWithB.com. And really, it, it is a, you know, it's always nice to discover like not only like-minded individuals, but also like-minded individuals who view this sort of the same way I do, which is that this is, you know, this is a celebration. We are here to celebrate the thing that we love and to find the joy in it. And one of the things I like when people pick albums for this show that are not my favorite, let's say, is I like the challenge of being like, okay, they're like, you are a guest in on my show. I'm not going to sit here and crap on the thing you love. I'm also not going to sit here and make you explain to me why it's good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to do that. You like challenge you like that. So it's like, where can I find, where's my entry point? There's got to be something here somewhere that I can, that I can get into. And that's sort of what your your blog seemed to me to be about. So it's like, this is just like, let me just tell you what I thought about this. Let me tell you where I right. come into this sort of thing. It's very personal, but also very open to everybody. And right. I think there, there are posts about specific shows, but I, from the very beginning, wanted to be um, like very specific in the fact that they weren't reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, because A, I'm just not trained as a critic. But B, I think even if you don't like a show, if a show isn't quote unquote good and I say that word very loosely Mm -hmm. there's always something to take away from it Mm -hmm. so I've seen shows that I haven't liked and I've written about shows that I haven't liked but instead of writing like this song sucked or like this story made no sense I I think you know I'm I'm gonna call it out I went to see the lightning thief it Mm -hmm. was not for me Mm -hmm. but there were young kids who were sitting near me and it was their first ever Broadway show and the looks on their faces during the show and after the show, especially at the stage door, like that's a memory that they're never going to forget. Yeah. And to me, that's what really stood out from that experience was that I got to watch somebody else experience that pure joy. Mm-hmm. And while it might not have been my favorite, you know, show that I've ever been to, that's something that they loved. So I always try to, I think there's a positive to find in everything you go to. And that's what I really try to focus on. Yeah, it's very rare that you get a group of people together to watch a live performance of any kind and nothing positive happens. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is a very, very... It, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but... Because uh, it, it, anything's possible. But it is very rare that there isn't something that makes the whole thing worthwhile. And, yeah, yeah I think that's great to look for that and to try to find it, to be open enough to try to find that in everything. Yeah. Uh, I think is great. And... Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling everybody all about uh, Call Time Broadway and your and and Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, which I think we successfully called it every single time. I think I called it Great Comet once. Did you want? But okay, we'll, just, we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll go back to the happen. tape. Is this how I die? Ridiculed and laughed at, wearing clown shoes. Is this how I die? Furious and reckless, sick with booze. How did I live? I taste 
Every wasted minute Every time I turned away From the things that might have healed me How long have I been sleeping? Is this how I die? The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Brooke Muller for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. They say we are asleep until we fall in love. We are children of dust and ashes. But when we fall in love, we wake up and we are a god and angels. We. But if I die here tonight, I die in my sleep. They say we are asleep until we fall in love. And I'm so ready to wake up now.